What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. Guys, super excited for tonight's episode. I got Sean Weaver on. We're going to be talking about um, the waterfowl breeding survey and habitat. Um, I messed I messed up the name there, but I, I think you guys got it. So, um, yeah, it's always cool every year to kind of take a look at that. And then um, you guys ju- dropped a bunch of questions over there in the fellowship of the duck gun. So that's what you guys have to look forward. A uh, few updates. Um, the blind is it's finished guys. The video is up on YouTube too. So you definitely need to check it out uh, because it took a lot for us to get it out there. Um, you guys heard my stories of <laughs> the struggles, but we got all got it all brushed in uh, all ready to go. Um, maybe, I mean, we'll probably have to touch it up the day of a little bit, but we got a bunch of willows cut and, and brushed in on the blind. We're super, super excited to use that this season. It's going to be, um, it's going to be pretty cool. So, um, definitely, definitely stay tuned for that. Um, I think I've mentioned a few times the pup and that video didn't come out this week. So next week, next week is coming out. Um, but just all over YouTube, um, I've been posting, uh, like four or five videos a week, and that's going to continue um, this week leading into early till season, which um, we got right around the corner. I can't believe it. I'll be leaving um, from the time you guys hear this, just like a few days. Uh, so uh, we'll be doing our podcast from the road um, from Iowa, and then that's just going to lead right into season with a, a ton of that stuff. So uh, it's going to be great. Can't wait for um, for season to actually be here we talk about it all year and it seems like we make the countdown it's like man it's 100 days man it's two months man it's a month away next month we'll be doing it and now it's we're counting down and we're just we're just days away days away from early goose early till early dove opening across the country and in lots of fun places to hunt so uh, that's that's gonna be it's gonna be good to be rolling uh, into that as well. Um, but guys, if you haven't, if you haven't joined the Patreon, um, I did a video on the YouTube channel, my and Elliot's hunt from last year where we went up, um, through Michigan in the duck bus. We had our Patreon winner travel all the way from Oregon to, uh, come hunt with us. And we just had a blast the whole weekend. It was a ton of fun. Um, I'll tell you, we didn't kill the number of ducks that we'd hoped for, but you know, it's one of those things where we killed enough to to still have fun. And um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. If you haven't checked out the video, you should see what I'm talking about. Um, and then, if you want to enter this year's drawing, um, then definitely jump over there. Um, we've definitely had some more people jump in there, but your chances are still pretty good. It's still pretty select few in there. Um, in in the the running for this and uh, we're going to do something fun first thing that comes to my mind is probably going uh, like to iowa with some of my buddies over there and and chasing some canvas baggers or some divers um if that's not your thing well we can figure out a a different hunt to um to get on and and have some fun that way too so jump over there guys patreon.com slash duck gun chronicles we're gonna be doing the giveaway um the first week of september i don't have an exact day yet but it'll be the first week of september i'll be doing a live stream on the duck gun chronicles uh youtube instead of the duck gun podcast where i do all the podcast live streams um and we'll be drawing one guy to come hunt with me and i'll be covering um a certain a certain amount of 
the uh, the cost for that too. So uh, be last year, we've always done right around four hundred. So that's what I expect. Something like that. Um, last year, I think the the plane tickets ended up costing more than that, um, and because it was flying all the way from Oregon, so we you know we went above and beyond kind of uh, the designated price. So we'll see. It just depends on on uh, you know certain factors like that, but. Uh, yeah, let's get a quick word from our partners, and then we'll jump into the main meat of this podcast. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to Final Approach. Guys, Final Approach is the one-stop shop for the duck hunters. They got the sub-three blind. They got decoys. They got waders. They're always coming out with cool things, upgrading things, new camo products. Um, you know, my, one of my favorite from last year was the puffy jacket, the grid hoodie. Um, some of those camo options were just, um, a great piece of equipment for me, uh, during the season. And, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of, plenty of different options to, to choose from over there. Like I said, the one-stop shop, I just was over there for Rogers day last month and it's pretty crazy, pretty crazy. Uh, all the, the camo and, and uh, duck hunting supplies they got in that store. So check them out, guys, over there. Um, you won't regret it. Also, like to give a big thanks to uh, Weatherby because Weatherby has some awesome waterfowl shotguns. They got some new ones coming out. I'm super jacked for this, the new the new side by side shotguns. Um, I've never hunted. I've never shot a side by side, let alone hunted with one. Um, and hopefully this year I will be. Uh, bring it to the Mallards with uh, a pretty cool Weatherby shotgun. Not only that, they do have some of your more standard waterfowl shotguns. They have the Element. They have the um, the 18i for waterfowl hunting. So um, semi-automatic options, and you know they're a rifle company in the past, but they're more and more becoming a shotgun company. And uh, I'm excited to see you know what they come up with next. I also like to give a big thanks to Motion Ducks, guys. Motion Ducks is your jerk rig, your jerk rig on steroids. Say it all the time, but guys, the more you hunt, the more you're going to realize you got to have a solution for those no wind days. You got to have motion in your set, um, and and you you gotta you gotta do it in a way that looks realistic, and and that's where the jerk rig, the Motion Ducks is the jerk rig on steroids. It's a uh, it's the jerk rig, but it's so much better because you have the lifelike motion. It's in the name. It spreads the decoys out. They have the ultimate where you can run like seven decoys. Um, you can run double that. You can put ultimates together, or you can have them further apart on the same line and run like two ultimates on it. It's a great option for um, for the duck hunters. So definitely check them out. Use code DUCKGUN2020 over there and get a discount on your motion ducks. Um, also like to give a big thanks to Onyx guys. Onyx is the waterfowlers app. They have, they have the mapping system, um, that shows your public land, your private land. It shows you the, the homeowner's information. Um, they have a, a new compass feature on there. Uh, they, they have just, I, I just can't imagine hunting as a waterfowler and not having that at my exposure to, or disposal, sorry, wrong word disposal uh to be able to you know get on more hunts find more locations um and know where you're at private public and knowing all those boundaries it's it's really something that as a hunter you almost have to have nowadays or somebody in your group at least at, at bare minimum so um check them out guys on x you can use it on phone you can use it on the uh their website any of 
of those as well. Uh, and lastly, I'll remind you guys again, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Duck and Chronicles. Got some hunts in there that aren't up on the YouTube channel, exclusive content. Um, I'm right there to, to ask any question anytime. I'm glad to um, talk duck hunting with you. Um, not only that, but we have the big part of it um, is the hunt giveaway. Oh, and we do have the waterfowl live stream we do. That's a super exclusive um, limited edition. It's going to be great during waterfowl season. We'll talk about your hunts from the season, break them down. Um, it's really kind of geared towards someone who's trying to become a better waterfowl hunter, whether it's a new guy or a veteran alike. So um, we're doing those monthly. I think I said weekly, but I meant to say monthly, monthly breakdown of, of your hunts and, and, and giving you kind of a guide to, to that. So lastly would be the hunt giveaway. And I can't wait to get one of you guys on there. We'll be doing that next month. So check it out guys, duck and chronicle or patreon.com slash duck and chronicles. Alrighty. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get Sean in here and we'll jump right into the podcast. What's going on, folks? This is Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles over here on the Duck Gun Podcast tonight. And I got my guest for tonight, Sean Weaver. And we're going to be talking all about the waterfowl counts um, and the survey, the breeding survey. Uh, and we got some questions from the fellowship over there as well that we're going to be rolling into. How are you doing tonight, Sean? Doing good. Doing good. It's uh, finally awesome. cooling down around here. So. <laughs> I wish we could say the the same for the rest of the country because it's a, uh, I mean it's just humid, it's hot, it does not feel like we're about to roll into duck season with some of the hottest temperatures of the year. I mean we're seven days away from killing teal and doves <laughs> in a lot of places. I mean breaking triple digits still. Right, right, definitely not a, not not a lot of fun to be uh, out in those temperatures. I'm definitely not going to be doing. Uh, uh, any evening dove hunts until we, we get past this uh <laughs> this heat wave because oh man that'll be uh that'll be miserable not only that but not not a great uh situation for dog hunters too no that's true so give give a little introduction you've been on the podcast in the past um and you know so yeah. go ahead and give kind of the 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 basic intro for you and and we'll get in into the the content you bet. I mean, it's pretty easy, right? I'm a, I'm a duck nerd, just like anyone that's <laughs> listening to this um, in some capacity. And I, um, you know, I've worked in the outdoor industry, the waterfowl category for a decade now, pretty much um, full time. You know, I'm one of those lucky guys that's been able to, you know, enjoy doing this day in, day out. And uh, my where I hang my hat nowadays is I'm marketing manager at Lucky Duck. Awesome. Awesome. That's, uh, that's definitely, uh, something, something fun, you know, doing kind of the career path you've got to take. And, uh, you know, you've been a, a cameraman, a producer, and now you're a marketer over there at Lucky Duck. And, uh, you've, you've become one of my go-to like Instagram pages to follow too, because you're always hot on kind of like the duck news and, and you got, I feel like you got pretty good takes on, on stuff too. So uh, I, I appreciate I follow that. along for that as well. I need to I need so. to do more of those. I, I'm I'm working on doing more of those. It's it's always a second thought, you know. The right like a uh, little news update thing. Um, actually, I've got two in the tank right now that I just need to sit down and record. But you know how it is, man. I mean, there's so much <laughs> that eats up your day, right? Uh, right? Dog, dog had to get a tooth removed today, and you know 
you get busy cooking dinner, <laughs> whatever else. You just realize right. you get to the end of the day, you never made the content you needed to. Oh, yeah, you got a new pop from the last time we talked. How's that going? It's going good, man. She's great. She has got all kinds of drive. Um, she's a phenomenal dog. Um, any shortcomings she has are due to her trainer, not not her. <laughs> um, but, no, she, she had a great year last year. She'll have a better year this year. And um, short, you know, everything about her has been great other than uh, – her going and cracking two teeth. So, oh man, did she just like slide into something, or um, somehow she did it, like face to face colliding with my my folks's dog, my parents' oh, dog, and broke two teeth. And I was hoping it didn't go too deep. You know, I was hoping it was just surface level, but nope, all the way down to the pulp. Mm, so they had to pull them. I, I, have ne- I don't think uh-huh. I've ever heard of a dog getting a tooth pulled, but nine hundred bucks later, man. <laughs> That's that's a little steep. That hurts. Oh my god! That yeah, that hurts. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. She's a good looking dog too. I've, I've seen. She's beautiful. Seen post on her. Yeah. What what kennel did you get her from? She's from Southern Oak. Yeah. Okay. She's that's kind of what I thought. That's what it looked like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's out of the cedar and socks litter. I've actually got a picture. I'll shoot you over sometime of her and cedar nice. side by side, like twins. That's awesome. That's super cool. It's uh, I'm I'm uh, probably a year behind you because I got a pup right now uh, that's four months and two weeks old. A um, lot of fun, ton, like you said, ton of drive. My my dog also is uh, SOK, um, Southern nice. Kennels Kennels dog. I uh, got it up here at uh, Southern Kennels North in Michigan. I got oh great! Up there, you're that, really close yeah. to them, dude. Wally is right. Wally and Don are just salt of the earth, great people. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I got a. A little teaser. I got a podcast scheduled with them um, for next week, so I'm, I'm heading up there again and, and having those guys on. But yeah, uh, definitely. They're, I mean, definitely they're right in your back of the woods, close. man. Right, yeah. they're an hour and a half from me, so they're they're super close. Yeah, so, they're good they're deal. good folks. I got to actually go on a goose hunt out there with them years ago for the grind um, filming, and oh, nice. uh, that was uh, Barton ramsey's first his son's first hunt first time going on a trip with barton and got to like learn what a goose band was and the whole deal and <laughs> we oh yeah that's special cooked up some ribeyes and ricky hart went balls of the walls on the smoker it just one of those like early season fun fun hangs those guys are a lot yeah. of fun right and that was that the year that uh that covid went through so the grind couldn't go up to canada Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Yeah, yep. I, th- I remember seeing that. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that God, man, isn't it crazy? We're still talking about it nowadays, and it's been that long. You know, like <laughs> you mean- the, 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 well, they're like talking about the masks and everything all over again. Oh, and it's been it's been how many years since the whole thing even started? It's so crazy. Yeah, it's so crazy. It, it's like. It just, it almost feels like we're living in a dream. Like, it doesn't yeah. feel like it's real life anymore. So, I yeah. don't even know. Uh huh. Yeah. Just, it, Jump timelines. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm, I won't be a fan of any type of restrictions or mandates if that's what they have in mind. I'll tell you that. Uh uh-uh. uh. Tell you what. <laughs> I'm going goose hunting whether they like it or not. <laughs> right. Right. That's, that's for sure. 
So I don't I don't feel like it stopped many of the hunters the last time around either. But no, me and Bill Wilroth practically lived in a snow goose pit for three weeks right when all <laughs> the lockdowns were happening. We were like, well, this is what we got to do. We got to stay here in snow goose hunt and yep. do our civic duty. <laughs> lock lock down to the snow geese. Lock yep. down to the snow goose pit. Awesome. Alrighty, well, let's let's jump to the the waterfowl breeding survey and and uh i know you've uh you've already had a good chance to take a look at it but for those of you guys who haven't seen it i mean all the the big conservation groups always post this delta and ducks unlimited and some other some other organizations on there that post the um the graphic for all us hunter to see and it's kind of yep. it's kind of like a tradition hunters waiting on this to come out and um you know see the numbers and a lot of people almost feel like it's a prediction of how good the season's going to be whether that's you know true or not i know we Mm -hmm. all like to believe that when it's like all the arrows are green and everything's going up (laughs) um but you know so um do you want to go ahead do you have it pulled up john yeah i do yeah okay i'll let you go ahead and kind of give the breakdown of it yeah so overall the you know, kind of the important information to get out of it is that total duck count um, year over year down 7% from last year. Now, it's important that people understand that, and this is where Delta does a really good job on this and Fish and Wild and the Fish and Wildlife Service does. Um, I wish DU put it in their graphic because this is actually breeding population. So this is not counting this year's hatch, which is really, really important. Um, Ultimately, these numbers reflect last year's hatch, Um, if if that makes sense. These are – this is the population of breeding birds. And so, you know, when you look at it and you say, well, we're down 7% this year, it's like, well, you have to look at it as that doesn't count the young of the year that's going to be coming south um you know this fall they will be reflected in next year's data but to to actually get into the numbers um you know mallards down a whopping 18 percent awful to see widgeon my favorite down 14 percent awful to see um blue wings down 19 percent redheads down 13 percent so those are the real kick in the pants ones um that really hurt and then green wings, pintails, and canvasbacks are the only ones that are up. Um, so overall, so, like a, a, a bad year for breeding last year. It was just dry. Mm-hmm. Yep, too dry. Um, you know, Alberta and Saskatchewan have been, and, and we love to talk about the Dakotas, and the Dakotas are very important and can really sway these numbers. But Saskatchewan and Alberta have been dry for, you know, five years now i mean they just haven't just haven't really gotten a good wet winter up on the alberta and saskatchewan prairie and i mean you all you got to do is look how big that place is and realize well when they don't have good pond counts when they don't have good may pond counts in alberta and saskatchewan it's gonna it's gonna reflect in the duck numbers um unless you get some incredible perfect nesting scenarios in you know montana north dakota south dakota minnesota but even then really hard to 
account for how much prairie there is in Saskatchewan, you know? Right, right, yeah. So, you know, kind of, uh, you know, your uh, your top-down view is, is duck hunters. Like, how should we feel about this, this survey? Is it, you know, is it uh, the end-all, be-all, or is it, you know, um, we kind of bad weather conditions kind of come and go and and mother nature self-corrects over time or so so i mean that's the that's the thing that's the beauty that's the beauty of the prairie right is that she's made to go through drought cycles and flood cycles that's how this prairie is supposed to operate so um, and duck numbers have always been cyclical as well, and we should expect them to be cyclical. Where, where we should start worrying and should always be concerned is when you have data coming out of places like South Dakota where they're losing 60,000 acres of wetlands a year right now. 60,000 right. acres, right? I mean, how many nesting pairs were on those 60,000 acres? every year that now is just tilled and tiled and that water gets drained out every year by tiling and you know you look at iowa and you say okay that state has lost 90 some percent of its original wetlands it used to look like south dakota right it was a wetland state and it was a production state now we don't even count it in production we don't Mm -hmm. even you know we don't even hardly we we count the very northwest corner of Iowa as prairie pothole region, but the rest of the state we don't count um, because there's no wetlands anymore. And South Dakota and North Dakota will head that way if we don't right. pick up the steam on on caring. Right. Yeah. Corn's all good, good and well, but I'd I'd much rather see the you know the prairie pothole states kind of stay that way and stay prairie stay prairie pothole. Yeah, and listen, I'm certain. I'm just fine with farmers and landowners farming their ground as they need to to make a living but the fact of the matter is is we got to find a way to gear that you know this gets me on a rabbit hole that i'll never shut up about but you have a system that is has incentivized them to not care for wetlands and water it when you look at the current farming system and you have ethanol subsidies um, that are pushing farmers towards corn um, only because of government subsidies, right? Not because the market actually needs more corn. Um, you know, you're ultimately turning wetlands and wildlife habitat into fuel that actually doesn't even help our motors anyway, right? Ethanol is right. harder on vehicles anyway. So it's like, okay, why are we subsidizing corn? and corn production at the detriment of our wetlands when if we were instead subsidizing regenerative agriculture or, you know, my argument would be no subsidies at all, but subsidizing regenerative agriculture where it actually takes care of the wetlands, you have nine months of growth on that land of winter wheat and corn and sorghum or rye or um, turnips, you know, some kind of cover crop forage in the winter for cattle cattle acting as bison on there, um, doing rotational grazing. That That is what ducks used to experience and nest on pre-modern agriculture. 
right? And I would much rather see our system geared and focused towards that. And and we as duck hunters have to, you know, have to, in my opinion, we as duck hunters have to understand, okay, us and farmers got to get along if we want to see this whole thing succeed in the long run. They need, to make, they need to make their living. We want to see more ducks. So where can those two things meet in the middle? And um, if anyone wants to, like, look up some awesome research going on on, on that front, um, Ducks Unlimited has a test farm in Huron, South Dakota, a regenerative agriculture test farm that will... And then also look up Jorgensen Farms in Winter, South Dakota, and uh, Jorgensen Land and Cattle. And you listen to some of the research going on at those places and consume as much of that content as you can. And you'll say, oh, this is where where us duck hunters need to quit fighting over who gets to hunt what state. Let's focus on making more ducks, you know? Right. Definitely. Definitely. Sorry to get all ranty right no, off. No, no, yeah, you're you're right on there. It's 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 definitely something that, um, I mean, numbers will continue to go further red. You know, um, right. if if we don't have um, the correct conservation efforts going on, and, and we just had DU on um, a couple podcasts ago, and you know, it's, you know, like we said on that one, it's like you know, you know, pick an organization, and, and all of them that are doing conservation work. Um, you know, it's definitely better than not picking any, you know, but, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, find your organization, find your, uh, your, your club to go to. And, and, uh, uh, we really do have to step it up as duck hunters and, and, uh, make sure that we're, we're leaving something behind, um, worth having for the next generations to come. So, I mean, yeah, you look no, at both, those, look at those no, mallard numbers, look at those mallards under the long-term average. 25% under per long-term average, you know, we're talking, a, we are a quarter below what we need mallards to even be at for the average. That's, that's horrible. Um, I, I remember a year that if I, if I recall right, that mallards hit 10 million and now we're looking at six. Um, it's ugly. And if we don't see a huge bump in next year's data, after how wet of a winter the Dakotas had this year, um, you know that'll really that'll really just show that there's just a lack of habitat compared to what you know what the ducks need to really rebound hard on a good year. Right. Yeah. It'll be. It definitely will be interesting to to see kind of those numbers coming in next fall as well but we got some questions in the fellowship i talked about that at kind of the beginning um so i'm gonna cherry pick some of them that are kind of uh uh geared towards what we're talking about first one i got is from zach conrad um and he said what's going on with the mallard population the numbers are down but i seem to be shooting plenty yeah um i don't know where zach is um he lives in Michigan. Actually, we, we I talked about him a little bit before we started the podcast. So he lives he lives close to like the Detroit area. Okay, got it. Um, well, certainly there's also just that mallards. You know what? Everyone is going to have their anecdote, right? Um, we've seen mallards become more urban. 
right? I mean, mallards have become more successful in, um, you know, urban residential environments like that. And and actually, I'll, I'll say this, you know, these counts are always um, estimates, right? And we even just saw the Atlantic Flyway, um, not to get too off the rails here, the Atlantic Flyway changed how they are. Um, the Atlantic Flyway changed how they're surveying. Um, mm. or, surveying you know, the counts. And- uh, yeah, how they're. I don't. I don't even know if it's that they actually are changing how they're surveying their counts, but they for sure ch- um, changed the underlying model that does the number predictions, and ultimately like the assumptions that's in those models and in the data of those models that drives their estimates was uh they made a change on it pretty much saying that they do not think hunter harvest was affecting bird numbers in the atlantic flyway as much as they were accounting for Mm. and that is part of the reason now of why the atlantic flyway is up to four mallards again even with numbers relatively flat. Um, and, and so, you know, that's a roundabout way of saying like, you might have a year where your area has better habitat. So, or, you know, more mallard specific habitat in the area you're at. So you might get a better influx of mallards that year, or, you know, you might have yes. had a really good residential nesting population in an urban environment nearby you if you live near Detroit or something like that. Yeah. If you, if you, uh, you know, just because you have a good season in your area doesn't mean like the prairie pothole region, region um, totally dictates that. I mean, it could be like the weather pushes you have, or even mm-hmm. like you just, you can have a lot of days where you just go out and have good days in a season. It feels like. Um, yeah. I mean, know, there was a year we got a. There's a year we got a bunch of scoters in South Dakota because of a hurricane hit North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. And, yep. you know, it pushed them all the way over. Um, there was a year that South Dakota was holding one-third of the continent's mallard population in a 10-by-10-mile 10 10 area because there was mm. about 100 square miles of flooded corn near Groton, South Dakota that year. Jeez. And... Yeah, they estimated a third of the continent's mallards were right there, you know. There's there's your heated ponds. <laughs> For all those southerners, right? Oh, gosh. Don't get me started <laughs> on that subject. Definitely. Uh, so, kind of, we talked about it a little bit, but Matt um, posted a comment on here as well. Um, and he said, thoughts on the liberal versus moderate versus restrictive m- matrix change from last year to this year. Yeah, so the... The change in the Atlantic Flyway, I would assume, is what he's talking about here. Um, but yeah, ultimately, we're going to see a yeah, we're going to see a bump for the Atlantic Flyway, not in numbers, but just in they ultimately said that they redid the model to that they they feel more comfortable with hunter harvest being higher and it not affecting the numbers in the Atlantic flyway as much as they'd initially presumed. Um, There's actually a really good article on this on Yahoo. If I remember, it's like called like mm, good news for duck hunters, Atlantic flyway returns to four (laughs) or something like that. But 
of um, all places to to get your news, man. <laughs> it's actually yeah, it's a really good article, and uh, they <laughs> had hilarious. a they had one of the biologists from the Atlantic Flyway come on and talk oh, about the models. Okay. So nice, nice. And then uh, Matthew Brown asks, are the flyways shifting? And if so, should the borders be adjusted? So I'll take a kind of a, a crack at this to, to start with. But, like, um, are the flyways shifting? That's something I've kind of heard the whole time I'm hunting. You, people talk about them shifting uh, mm-hmm. west to east. People talk about uh, the birds not coming further south. And it's just so much goes on. And there's so – I would say that I, I've – I'm relatively a new hunter. This is my eighth season. Um, now you got to talk to guys, I think from like 20, 30 years ago to really kind of get like, cause I can't, I can't speak to what they mm-hmm. saw. Um, we definitely know it's, it's different, but to what extent? Um, and then you have guys now that say right now is the glory days. It doesn't get better than, than what we got now. And you know, it depends, mm-hmm. I guess what you're comparing it to, but um, are the flyways shifting? It's, I don't know. I didn't take a good crack at that one. I'm, I'm not going to no, you're a good okay. answer on it. Um, okay. I, I think that um, saying the flyway is shifting or flyways are shifting is probably not always a fair way of looking at it. Um, I encourage everyone to look at Osborne Labs and the research they're doing. Um, the, the mallards that they are GPS backpack tracking in eastern Arkansas – um, are taking virtually more or less the same flight back to the Dakotas every spring and coming back the same way every fall. Um, their flyway has really not shifted that much. You know, somewhat in the very, very long term, it has. Those mallards aren't stopping in Iowa in the way they maybe would have 150 years ago or 100 years ago when the Missouri river wasn't all dammed up yet and it was still allowed to flood and had oxbow lakes that filled up and dropped and filled up and dropped every year. Um, uh, Lee Fredrickson talks about this. He's like one of the godfathers of the current waterfowl management structures. Um, but Lee talks about that, um, growing up, like seeing, clouds of mallards get off missouri river oxbows Mm. i I believe it was lee um and you know that is one of those things that sure those birds don't use that same area anymore because the habitat's been destroyed so if you're hunting an area where you've seen over the long term the birds quit using where you're at it's probably a symptom of either a diminishing quality of habitat in your area or two, too much hunting pressure in your area. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the bird's entire flyway has shifted, you know, by hundreds of miles. It might just mean that they're utilizing different areas or not even stopping. You know, the poor, the poor guys in Iowa, how many hundreds of thousands of mallards fly over them to go to Missouri every year? <laughs> And they right. fly right over them. They don't bother stopping. They fly over in the middle of the night. See ya. Um, because there's not the habitat. So, um, so, so it, you're kind of to to kind of summarize a little bit what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You'd say the habitat is the biggest adjustment, not adjustment, not the way um, birds are flying north to south. 
Right, right. I mean, um, you know, certain flyways might see less nesting ducks than they did historically. You know, maybe there's less mallards nesting in Minnesota and Wisconsin now um, than there was 40 years ago. So maybe Illinois is not getting as good of a duck push as they used to. But I wouldn't say it's because those mallards have all decided to nest in North Dakota and South Dakota. I would say that it's just because the quality of the habitat has diminished in a place like Minnesota and Wisconsin. And so there's not as many successful nests to send ducks south, right? It's just a right, yeah. there's less ducks in that specific area being produced on the landscape. And so wherever those ducks were going, let's say whatever ducks were nesting in central Wisconsin, um, wherever they were going, let's say they were going to Peoria, Illinois, well, if there's less nesting habitat in central Wisconsin, there's going to be less ducks in Peoria, Illinois. But it doesn't necessarily mean the flyway shifted or that they're taking a different route. Um, yeah, that's, that's that my definitely, take. That, that definitely sounds like a, a very reasonable take. So uh, I've, I've never heard it explained that way. And I, I feel like a lot of people do believe that the flyways are shifting west. Well, and, and I, see, I can make a case for it too, man. Like I can sure. make a case for that. It's shifting. You know, one one thing that I point at all the time, and and this is a real off the <laughs> this is a real off the wall one, but power plants, places that create power, used to be farther mm. in the east. They used to be in states like Wisconsin, Illinois, um, Iowa, Indiana, Missouri. Uh, as those states have created more taxation, uh, costs of living for those states went up, et cetera. Co- just the overall cost of producing energy has gone up in those places. Uh, a lot of power plants have shifted west. Same with ethanol. Um, Iowa had zero ethanol plants 40 years ago. Now there's, I don't know, a thousand of them. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Well, all those places, those power plants, those ethanol plants, they all have cooling ponds. Those cooling ponds, ponds never freeze. So you're now wintering ducks in and geese in Iowa that never would have wintered there before. And so then you wonder, well, why has the Canada goose hunting gotten worse in Ballard County, Kentucky, Sumner, Missouri, Illinois River Valley? Well, there's a thousand new hot ponds in Iowa that are holding Canada geese that didn't historically. And I know that the southern guys think that it's duck hunters creating warm ponds i promise you i've never seen a warm water pond like created by a duck hunter in south dakota the warm water ponds that are in places like iowa south dakota um etc they are urban environments they are industrial environments they are not duck hunters creating them there is not a single warm water pond (laughs) in eastern south dakota there's there's a lot more money in in power plants than there is in duck hunting. You got to follow the money if you ever want to find what's really going on. For sure, for sure. <laughs> and there's just unbelievable money going into those power plants, and, mm-hmm. and so another reason um, I'm able all to, for getting rid of ethany, ethanol subsidies. <laughs> right, right. So we kind of talked about Iowa. Uh, I'm gonna find that one again. Here we go. No, we don't. Oh. I'm 
supposed to have it. We're, we're just going to grab another question because yeah, that's fine. Um, because I don't, I can't find it right off the, the You're good, dude. top of my head. But um, yeah, so let's go with. Oh, here we go. I hunt in southeast Iowa, and we see this one's from Dylan. By the way, Dylan, uh, I hunt in southeast Iowa, and we see numbers off and on every year. And it was a lot better five to seven years ago. Anyways, we have a wide variety of ducks coming through, but nothing crazy consistently. What would or or what could or would help the mallard population over here? It's been very very low and decreasing every year. Yeah, um, the the key thing there is just habitat, right? Um, hunting pressure and habitat both, but I I, I lean way more towards habitat. Um, when you, when you go somewhere like, um, you know, Eastern South Dakota and every half mile, there's a pond with coontail or smartweed or whatever in there. Um, there's just so much food for them. Right. And the, the glory days of the Mississippi river and the Missouri river, are, in my opinion, unfortunately, behind us because we have gotten rid of the natural water flow of those systems and the natural process of those rivers lifting and flooding and dropping and flooding and dropping, and which ultimately is you know how any wetland creates food sources. And so, um, you know, find a way... If you're if you're capable, if you have the opportunity, you know, create some kind of oasis of habitat. If you can get smartweed to take in a local pond that's a friend's yours and you know use it as a little refuge for yourself, or um, you know have a refuge cornfield that's three miles away from an urban town and. You know, no one hunts that goose field, and you run traffic um, between the the town roost and the feed field, and you know, so you just have birds always still there, and you can just pick off what you can pick off, things like that. You know, ultimately, do your best to try to create some kind of food source um, legally, <laughs> legally creating <Right>. a food <laughs> source. Yeah, yeah. but. Um, so- so I'd have something to add to that. And so I feel like, uh, you know, I hear kind of some similar things from some guys in Michigan. And um, I think, you know, some of it is habitat changes, like local flyways change, where the birds, the areas they're using and going to be through the season change. Um, and I, I don't know Dylan personally or, or how long he's been hunting or, or who he hunts with, but a lot of that can kind of dictate some of that. Um, you know, I feel like with some of those changes, you got to get out and, and really look and maybe change up the areas you're going to because there could be a lot of different things that have changed the way birds use your area, whether it's habitat or whether it's farming practices or, or any of the above. And, and in southeast Iowa, um, you know, I haven't hunted there uh, enough to kind of say there's, there's, there's enough mallards here. But um, with the Mississippi River running through there, I do feel like you probably, even if the glory days are behind it, you probably do have – some really good hunting compared to a lot of places in the country. Um, now I know it's not 
you know, North Dakota or in the central flyway or, or, you know, somewhere on the, the West coast or whatever. But you right. know, there's, I think that if you put in some work, um, and maybe you are, I'm not like trying to come at you like, like that, like you're not doing the work, but, um, I think that, um, just things change and you might have to, to switch up what you're doing, switch up the, the places you're looking for them. And maybe the, the stuff that you traditionally have done hasn't been as successful, but you can find the birds in, in some other, some other way. That'd kind of be my suggestion to you. If you're seeing, if you feel like you're seeing like a big decrease in, in the mileage you're expecting from season to season. Yep. Yeah, for sure. You know, be willing to go find that perfect habitat that's going to be the keyed in on spot in your, you know, 80 mile stretch of river. All right. We got a question from Drake here. And um, he asked, when will there be a ban on the release of farm slash pin raised ducks? on game farms for tower shoots act this was one of the things that made the atlantic flyway go to limit too because of them breeding with the migratory birds and the genetics messing with the birds uh, migration and farm jet farm duck genetics now being found in wisconsin um, so we actually had a podcast with oh man i can't remember his name now i have to look back earlier this spring with a biologist um, who is working on a study for this. And I did find, you know, it's one of those things where we need to wait till the study's out to really have the full um, understanding of, of what's going on. But from what they found, it does not sound good. And I would 100%, you know, if it comes out how he's saying, um, where it's it's causing birds to change their nesting success, change their nesting behavior uh, because of the, the genetics being diluted with, wild ducks then i'd 100 percent be for a ban of releasing the pin ducks now it doesn't affect me you know we got guys in and you know a big states for or like north carolina or, or other states in the atlantic flyway i don't want to pinpoint one incorrectly but i know that uh there's a lot of that going on in the atlantic flyway there's there's definitely some states in the midwest doing it too uh, but if we're releasing large numbers of birds and they're mixing with the migratory birds and causing, you know, we need every help we can to uh, increase their their success rates. So, um, yeah, it's once the study's out, you know, I think we should should ban it. <laughs> that's that's my thought on it. So, you got anything to add to that, Sean? No, I don't. I don't really have much to add on that. Just uh, just because I'm not familiar with the the study and the the data on that. Yeah, well, it's it's definitely something that I, I think you know as that study comes out and mm-hmm. they're, they're still got uh, a year or so on it, um, but you know if it is as bad as kind of what what he was saying from the numbers, I think we need to sound the alarm bells and 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 kind of get rid of that practice. And I know guys maybe like doing a, to- a tower shoot, but if you got birds that then migrate and then you know breed with wild ducks, it's just uh, I can I can really see where it's. Uh, uh, not a good thing. And then not only that, but we've kind of seen something similar with the way that they've released hatchery fish into wild wild fisheries and, and those those fish breeding with, um, you know, the wild trout and, and taking away some of their survivability or some of their, their natural instincts that they're born with. Um, we all know if you go out on a day where they release 
like trout okay. to a stream that that have been eating um <laughs> eating uh, little pellets every day of their life i mean they're they're dumb as a box of rocks and they don't have any type of natural selection of of what birds or what or what birds what what fish and what genetics are passed on so um yeah i think it, we can learn a lesson from that and, and get ahead of it because there's some fisheries that have been ruined by them artificially um injecting you know uh farm-raised fish in, into those fisheries so yep all righty do you use livers hearts and gizzards and if so what are your favorite recipes using them that's from matthew matthew ashley sorry um matthew ashley <laughs> i personally don't uh do livers at all with wild ducks um some someone might be out there um i personally just haven't haven't taken the time to do it. Um, gizzards and hearts, though, for sure. And uh, hearts, honest. So m- my opinion on like the the gizzards and hearts is um, gizzards are one of those things that's almost better um, like cooked a little bit and then fried, like parboiled type thing. Uh, soften them up a little bit, and then uh, hearts just one go at them because uh, otherwise they seem to actually get a little tougher on a parboil type thing but you know honestly just like a little uh, beer battered and fried little snack type deal when you're hanging out with a bunch of people i tend to cook them all at once you know i save a bunch of save a bunch in one bag and then fry them up um, for people to try when you got people over or something like that so Nice, nice. Um, I don't don't do any, like, special recipes with them myself. Right. I haven't tried them myself, but I've I've heard from buddies that um, I need to, and and it just hasn't been something I've done yet. Now, one that um, I will say is, like, guys, you got to keep the legs. Like, the legs are phenomenal on ducks because, you know, the thing about the breast meat is the breast meat is the most oxygenated meat. That's why it gets a dang dark because they use their pecs you know and they're mm. constantly flying um but you know you look at pheasants right they don't fly ever so their breast meat is the nice light meat and their legs are the dark meat because um, they're mm. always running around ducks it's the opposite they're always using their breast meat it's always darker but you go have a plucked duck leg that is like candy it's like a lollipop man that meat is way more tender it's way lighter colored and it's so fat so rich and fat so yeah definitely keep your duck legs Alrighty, that's uh i don't keep my duck legs but uh that's a that's a that's a good way of um stating it so i've, I've never thought about it that way but um next question we got chafe chase congrove and uh he's uh he's coming at you a little bit so um you ready for this one yep i'm ready uh, and he, he states it to me, so I'll read it that way. Why did he go through such a fit about Kansas wanting to pass regulations, but is silent about other states that, that have or that has non-resident restrictions, such as his sister state, South Dakota, where you can't hunt a single day unless you draw a license? Just seems a bit hypocritical, hypocritical and not his place. So totally, uh, totally fair to one, call it hypocritical, and two, to call out the other states that have non-resident restrictions. Uh, 
It is ultimately up to Kansas and its people on what they want to do um, regarding non-residents. It's their decision. My my gripe and my problem with the Kansas situation specifically is that it is going to push people towards um, leasing more private land and more guided hunts. It is a public land restriction. It is not a statewide restriction. And so... To me, what's going to happen is when you go restrict the public land access in a state like Kansas for non-residents, well, you're going to encourage them to go hunt with outfitters, which encourages more leasing of private land, which continues to drive the problem we have of private land access for waterfowl. And and then ultimately, it doesn't totally ban non-residents hunting on public, so that it's just going to push them onto public more heavily for three days of the week. I compare it to COVID when during, when Walmart said during COVID, we're going to shut down the, you know, these 24 seven super centers. We're now going to only allow you in through one door for 10 hours a day. Well, what did that do? It made more people in the Walmart for 10 hours a day instead of them being spread out over 24 hours. It's the same idea. You're going to force more people into places like Cheyenne Bottoms and all the other public land areas um, for three days of the week. And then they're going to go hire an outfitter that's now going to lease more land the other four days of the week or three days of the week. Um, My problem with Kansas banning non-residents is two things at the ultimate end. One, I think it's the wrong solution. I don't think it's a good solution. If they said, we want to go to a draw, like South Dakota, and it affects everyone equally, that would affect guides and outfitters equally, it would affect public lands hunters equally, it would affect, it would, it would, it wouldn't have a bias, right? Um, I'm okay, I'm I'm more okay with that. Right. The second problem. I did like the. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. The second problem I really have with it is that it um, I just have a problem with, in general, government changing the status quo. Because, like Manitoba, I came at Manitoba really hard because there are people who are Americans that have bought land and bought duck camps and taken out mortgages on land in Manitoba for the purpose of duck hunting. And now government just yanked the rug on them. Similarly, if a state like Kansas all of a sudden tomorrow went to a draw system, um, my my problem with that would be, okay, there's there's people who have taken out loans and taken out mortgages and bought land with the intent of being a duck hunter in Kansas or coming in duck hunting in Kansas. And when you yank the rug on people's finances at the behest of the government, I do not like it. Um, and... And then ultimately, I think there's much more benefit from us all focusing on growing the pie. How can we make more ducks? How can we, how can we collect, like, how can we as duck hunters put in the effort to make more ducks? Because if there's 200 million ducks coming down the central, coming out of the central flyway tomorrow, nobody would be complaining about non-residents. Right. There'd be so many dang ducks. Everyone would just be like, what do we do with all these mallards? (laughs) Definitely. So definitely, um, but yeah, yeah no, it's I, a, it's I, a fair I, criticism of me on that. 
Sure. And, you know, everybody's kind of entitled to, to their thoughts. I do think that you had a, a pretty good kind of solution at the end of uh, what you were saying on your Instagram post where um, they they charge maximum amount for license, take the extra cash, and buy walk-in only, um, only candidate resident um, yeah. uh, places to hunt. Where it's like, again, that just adds more waterfowl habitat for birds coming along the way it adds more habitat for hunters coming along the way but the i feel like you make a if you if we had if kansas did that um would the money actually go there you know would it actually end up going there well Uh, then that's a criticism of government that's not a criticism of the plan right right. (laughs) that's that's right yeah and i think there is some fair criticisms where government uh you know have you been to a they're, DMV, they're, they're pretty good at getting rid of money yeah um and but <laughs> right. on the on the south dakota subject and then arkansas being the other non-resident state uh that ha- or non-resident restriction state um what the if if tomorrow south dakota went totally no non-residents or totally wide open, I would have the same criticisms I had of Kansas. Um, I, I don't like change of the status quo. And ultimately, I think there are much more cost-effective solutions to create opportunity for states and for duck hunters. And, um, you know, a state like South Dakota would benefit way more from uh, how can we create more nesting habitat and quit getting rid of wetlands, you know? Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll criticize South Dakota on right. that all day long as someone that had lived right. there for 10 years. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to, and we, when I had Delta on the podcast, the, they talked about kind of their motto is we need more, we need more hunters because hunters are hunting is conservation and, uh, anything that kind of restricts the growth or the, I mean, not, not even the growth, just the, I mean, we're trying to keep the number of honeys at a, a steady pace at this point. So, um, and hopefully future growth, we do need every hunter we can. Um, because if you're anything like me, you know, you start out as a hunter, you're not doing much for conservation. You're just trying to figure out the ropes and then you kind of get into it. You get steeped in waterfowl and, and real excited about it. And then further along, you, you maybe you hear conversations like this and you're like, man, I do need to do something for, um, for conservation. Um, you know, not just only taking, but giving some back, um, and then, you know, if we don't have hunters, then we're not going to have that conservation either. So anything that restricts the number of hunters, I'm, I'm definitely going to um, take a, a double take at and try to figure out, you know, what's what's a better solution. And it does, like you said, when it does come down to it, Kansas does have to do what it needs to do for its residents. But um, it needs to make sense at the same time for, for duck hunting as well. Yes, I am not on board with government doing anything where the re- the reasoning is well we have to do something we have to do something is not a justifiable reason a justifiable reason would be that it's going to tangibly actually make the hunting experience better and the the overall waterfowl experience of being a united states american waterfowler better than it was before and i do not think that this does that right Right. Okay, let's keep keep on going. We do have another one about hunter restrictions. Um, I guess we'll jump into that one too. There's actually a couple or a few, so um, we'll jump into this one. Uh, Devin um, Bearwolf 
Um, do you think that states that put restrictions on out-of-state hunters should be able to hunt any state they want repercussions free, or should there be laws put in place uh, to to uh, for hunters from these states um, that are able to do this to ensure that these hunters don't get all the cake and the ability to eat it all too? Yeah, that's a totally fair point. I mean, um, this is the this is the dangerous game of eye for an eye, right? And this is the this is the to me I call it a European mentality of protectionism. Um, we're going to do what's good for us. Screw you. Uh, like fighting over pieces of the pie mentality rather than see how we can grow the pie. The most American idea is that we grow the pie. We don't America, America at its root, at its basis does not, um, look for how can we evenly cut up the pie how can we fairly cut up the pie? America focuses on how can we grow ourselves out of this problem, and and that's what we need to do. I, I and and so I don't think we can go down this rabbit hole of like, oh well, Kansas doesn't allow Missouri people to come hunt anymore, so then Missouri bans Kansas hunters from coming to hunt, and then it just sends up this tit for tat. Um, like war of duck hunter versus duck hunter. That doesn't benefit anybody. That doesn't make anybody's life experience better off, in my opinion. Because um, one of the most beautiful things we can do in America is travel state to state and experience hunting and learn hunting in different places. You know, One of the coolest things I've ever gotten to do is go hunt ducks down in the southwest all the way to Maine. Um and, and so I, I just very much, very, very, very much would rather see us say, okay, how can we make more ducks so Kansas doesn't do a law like this? How can we make so many ducks that Arkansas doesn't restrict non-residents on public, et cetera, et cetera? And um, is that maybe a little bit of a utopian idea? Sure. But we also thought a bunch of these ducks were going extinct 70 years ago, 80 years ago, and we came out of that. Right, right. Yep. We've definitely had some conservation successes in the past of duck hunting as well. So it's not it's not all doom and gloom and hopefully you know, hopefully we look back and, and, and see that we've 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 done something successful in the future for sure. So um next question we got Dwight and Dwight seems a little a little depressed about duck hunting. Um and so his question is why why you should why should I think he's saying it in a, in a weird way, but why should I still pursue duck hunting? There's more humans hunting them than the duck population. I've just about uh, given up. There's a little hope, but I'd rather go fishing. So um, first off, I will have to, I have to say your numbers are a little off because um, if we look over here at our our, our survey from this year, um, 32 million. Um, <laughs> And uh, number of active duck hunters, what is it, like 800,000 to a million, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's definitely more hunters uh, or more ducks than hunters. Um, I can understand, you know, having bad years and being depressed, but, um, you know, why should you pursue I mean, the same the same way, reason we all we all love to pursue waterfowl. Um, maybe you just need to, to get out there. <laughs> I think my solution to everybody is get out there and scout and, and, and uh, get after it a little bit more. 
because you never know. You never know what you can turn up, and and uh, it only takes a few good hunts to really make a season great. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to say I think there's also an expectation problem. Um, you know, if if you go out and catch two nice fish in a day, um, people, you know, it's a good day. You catch two nice fish. It's, like, it's not ideal. You want to catch a ton, but two nice fish. It's a good day. Guys go shoot two ducks. They're like, ah, not a great day. Pretty bad day. And it's because we've got this expectation as waterfowlers that we're just always going to bang them up. That it always has to be limits for it to be a success. And I implore people to look way more towards enjoying the ride, enjoying the adventure of, you know, one of my favorite things to do is scout on an October night in South Dakota. One of the most beautiful, refreshing, mind-calming, and and peaceful experiences you can have. And um, I would go scouting every night in October if I never shot another duck again the rest of my life. So, you know, how how can you say, okay, well, I might only shoot 10 ducks here, but I'm going to take a canoe and go drive six hours to somewhere I've never been before and try to learn how to kill ducks in a new spot. Use Donex to find it. Let's give it a try. Make an adventure out of it rather than just being focused on the number. But keep keep with it. Don't don't give up on it. Right. There And you kind of alluded to it a little bit, man. There's so many cool places. and every, I mean, you couldn't touch them all in, mm-hmm. in a lifetime of doing it. No. And I, I, I hunt hard all all season long. And every year, I almost, almost every year, I go somewhere cool um, somewhere I've never been, somewhere scenic, somewhere way out in the sticks, and there's just something about you know being out um, in the marsh, being out in creation, being out and seeing wildlife, um, and having a, a goal at the same time of of uh, you know trying to achieve a, a, a cool duck hunt and just yeah. the sights and and the visuals and the, the sounds and even the smells and and everything about it, man. Um, I wouldn't give it up. I wouldn't trade it for nothing. So it's just, it, even the way you just, you know, talked about it, taking your canoe and driving six hours. Some people probably think, man, that sounds so crazy. But for me, that is like a dream, right? Just being in October or November and, mm-hmm. and going up somewhere where, you know, where it's shooting ducks in wild places, you know? And you know what? If you don't so, get, if you don't get actual enjoyment out of that, if you don't enjoy taking a canoe six hours to a new place to try it and experience it, then, then it's not for you. That's okay too. But um, if yeah. you if you right. if you can see how to find happiness in that and not focus on the numbers, um, it opens up a whole new part of waterfowling for yourself. The most satisfying ducks I have ever shot in my life were a limit of widgeon in New Mexico after getting my absolute ass kicked for a few days. Um, never have cared more right. about shooting widgeon in my life. But the whole experience made those widgeon worth it, right? Those widgeon wouldn't have been near as cool to definitely. me if I just shot them every day like that. Definitely, definitely can agree with you on that. So we're rolling up on the hour mark. Let's, uh, you know, let's go lightning round. So we're gonna, right, let's do it. I'm gonna mix. We're gonna try to hit up most of the ones we missed. Um, we'll take turns. Um, Sounds good. And uh, just kind of go back and forth on some of them. So. Uh, let's go for the next one. Um, John asked for some scouting 
strategies for newer hunters and weekend warriors. He gives some context to it, but we'll just we'll go ahead and answer the question. If you don't have, I'll on, let you go first. If you don't have Onyx, get Onyx. Turn on the National Wildlife Refuge filter or whatever federal filter it is for your area. Find every little chunk of NWR land or you know federal water based land anywhere near you. Go check them out. Go find them. Go look at them. And honestly, learn how to recognize duck food, coontail, and smartweed for starters. Definitely. Uh, Christian asked, what are the chances of an early black belly whistling season? I know biologists in Florida are pushing for it. We see fewer and fewer wood ducks in Florida every year because of the uh, them tree ducks are everywhere. So um, I don't know anything about uh, that push, but... Um, you know, kind of what we talked about, anything that helps grow duck hunting. And I do think in an early season, um, black belly whistling season would be a good thing for Florida. Now I'm not a biologist. So, uh, if it makes sense and all that, man, I'd be all for it. Hopefully they're on it and they get that passed. If it's a good thing for, for Florida hunters and, and that, uh, and the duck hunting population there. I tell you what, I'd love to be there for it. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Scott Wright says, what's your favorite hide? Ooh, um, actually, I've really taken to hunting ducks like turkeys in certain spots where I kind of sit up under a tree <laughs> and just sit on my butt on a like our Lucky Duck Predator seats. And I tell you what, man, that is a wicked hide when you're sitting up under a tree, um, oh, you yeah. know, over a creek or a pond or something like that, shooting them like they're turkeys. Definitely. I'll throw in there. I love I love a frame hunting. Yeah, you know, sub three blind. Yep. So uh, anywhere, just I, I take one of those just about anywhere. Um, Scott Hill says, "When are we going to see the new pup?" So I got a video that I'm working on um, that I keep. I, I just don't have it done yet. Okay. So it's it's <laughs> it's it's a work in progress. <laughs> it's supposed to come out next week. I, I said that I think the week before too. But um, my boat motor died on me, and some of the places are going to film. I haven't got I haven't got to, but I got a buddy who's going to take me out on his boat, and I'm going to finish up the filming of it um, and have that video uh, released. So it's going to be a cool video. I'll tell you I'll tell you get that, and it'll introduce introduce the new pup. Talking about a All boat right. motor dying, you sound like me. That's true. <laughs> uh, if we ever get one about like you know preseason checklists, we'll have to put two mud motors on there no for you. Shit. <laughs> Okay, let's keep on going. Um, Number uh, number one tip for taking a youth out on their first hunt. Mm. Number one tip. Ooh, I got to say, hand warmers and snacks. There you go. Their hands get cold even when it's warm. They get them wet once and their hands are cold. Right. You're right. Take them on a warm day and make sure it's going to be a successful hunt. That's that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Alex asked, uh, what are your thoughts on calendar birds? Um, calendar birds. I mean, yeah, we, we do know that some birds, uh, move off of the, the photo period, just same way as, as bucks in the rut. You know, they've done studies on it. Um, we know that for sure. Like blueing till is kind of the most notorious one, um, where we got the males moving in and that's why we have an early September season, uh, for blueing. So, um, I don't know beyond that, like thoughts, like, are you saying like throughout the season, um, if the, the migration, um, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, they've done studies too on, 
on you know at the at the winter solstice that's kind of the end of the migration they have no more reason to to move south so um you got what you got thoughts on this sean uh pretty much my only thought is there is calendar migration but it usually is uh prompted and kick-started more by weather so like we know that teal are going blue wings are going to move in that you know second third week of september a lot but understand that like on a more granular level, your hunt during that time should be more based around um, the, you know, not more based around, but just understand that weather is going to still play a factor, even with calendar birds. Definitely. All right. We got a question from my buddy, Phil DeFreezer. I'm interested to know more about the studies in the past versus the numbers now. Uh, I think this will be more of a question for you, Sean, if you got knowledge on this, because I don't really know a ton about like the historical ones. Uh, but he kind of goes on and says, um, like the average number by decade versus the numbers now, 70s, 80s versus 90s, and so on. And what are the factors and methods that have changed over the years in a way that the numbers are counted? So I wonder if he's kind of like questioning like the validity of of the of the the counts and how the methods have changed over the years. Yeah, the the I mean the models and the numbers are always changing, um, right? Just like we saw the Atlantic Flyway change their model, um, but you know what what it really has to do with is May pond count, hunter harvest, which is banding data, right? Um, and you know we've been doing banding data in this country for i don't know 100 years now we've got data on this so um they they even know which areas of the country don't report their bands as much <laughs> you know <laughs> they know guys in maryland don't report their bands as much as a guy in south dakota or whatever right um and there's actually this thing it's like uh the first rule of fight club don't talk about fight club it's like the first rule of um like adaptive harvest surveys is don't talk about adaptive harvest surveys of pretty much like when you start talking about that, the banding data influences the bird population or the, like the bird estimates. Um, they don't want you to talk about that and like whether people should report or not report their bands. I just want everyone to keep doing what they've been doing because it keeps the models consistent. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's li- listen. That that's what science is, right? There is no like science is by its nature not perfect. It's just testing a hypothesis. Definitely, definitely. Um, next question we got from uh, another one of my buddies. We got Hunter on here. He said, "What is the predictions for the year? Will the average hunter have more or less success?" successful hunts this year based on the numbers do the numbers lead to hunters being successful or more a metric of measure of the health of our breeding stock of birds and um yeah keep going on let's i'll let you go ahead with that depending on what flyway you're in if you are in california and you like hunting mallards you're gonna have a great year they've got mallards up the wazoo after this wet winter they had pacific flyway like local mallards should be great. Montana and South Dakota habitat looked phenomenal all summer to me, or like all spring to me, um, and then got dry in the summer, but the broods should have already been done. So um, Central Flyway should be great. I can't speak for Atlantic Flyway, but I would in general say there should be a lot of young ducks coming south this year is my gut. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that. Uh, Josh, Josh asks, what do you think matters more, the number of decoys you have or the quality in small numbers, assuming you are setting a correct sped, uh, spread for your situation? Um, Josh, I would say on that the most important thing for me is having natural movement in your set. Um, you got those no-win days. If you don't have motion, man, you're, you're going to really struggle, especially later in the season. Um, especially after you know a week, I would say of of you know killing the dumb birds and birds that aren't realizing they're getting hunted, they learn quick. So for me, it's it's more spread. If I have a no wind day, uh, I'm doing small spread with motion. You know, on a, on a windier day, you can get away with a bigger spread. Um, it does stick out better uh, to have um, a lot of ducks, but it really depends on your area too. You want to look natural. So if you're in you're in a Kansas in the central flyway on a migration day with a lot of wind, there's no reason not to run a big spread. Now if you're in a, a place that doesn't naturally have big flocks of mallards and the no wind day, man, I'm definitely running like seven decoys and more than more than half of them on the the motion rig. So um yeah, that that would be my my take on it. All right. Um Nathan says, "I'm going to slow Let's see, I'm I'm uh, not understanding your question there. I'm going to slower shot. Okay, okay. Shot. He's talking about shot speed. Um, going from fifteen hundred feet to thirteen hundred feet. Any difference in how to shoot? The shooting is the same, but you will find that right off the bat, you're probably going to be shoot, shooting more birds in the butt. Um, definitely go practice. I mean, for sure, go practice um, shooting some clays with that different load um you will notice and feel the difference right definitely that's a that's a big jump and i i know i've experienced the same thing when you go from like uh trap loads and you're just you're just knocking every clay Mm -hmm. pigeon down it's like well you go to a waterfowl load that's a lot quicker um your lead and and all that's going to be different so um you know i it it would be we've we've talked about this on the podcast in in the past but it's like it would be nice if trap loads did go at the same speed as waterfowl loads for you know for practice uh, sake but also waterfowl loads you know cost too much to just be hammering away (laughs) at at clay pigeons so but do go practice with a 1300 right foot per second even if you just go buy some (laughs) cheap lead for practicing with uh, the clay range um because that 1550 is going to be way different than 1300 definitely um Dakota says, looking for a good retriever training program. Any su- suggestions? Um, I've used the Freddie King one in the past. Um, it's great for collar conditioning, all that, all the way through. Um, and I know a lot of the Southern Oak guys use uh, the Cornerstone. Yep. And that's what Josh from Outdoor Limits used as well. So I used um, there's CG- some good ones out there. I use CGA, Cornerstone Gun Dog Academy. Uh, I loved it. Um, highly recommend. Um I've heard great things about um, Josh Miller's um, Retriever Roadmap. I've never personally used it myself, but CGA for me. Awesome. Well, um, where are you going? Where's your fun, your first hunting trip this year, Sean? Montana. Um, I'm going to do some truck camping in Montana, and I'm going to an area that. I've yet to meet a single other person that's duck hunted there. Um, huh. But on paper, it should be pretty darn good. So I'm going to go try to figure <laughs> it out and and do some truck camping and, and learn 
Awesome. Sounds like a blast. How many days? What's your countdown? Uh, that's very first weekend, uh, opening weekend, September 30th. And uh, I think I'm probably going to stay there for a couple weeks and make content and try crazy things. I'm going to bring like 15 Lucky Duck agitators and just hunt over those. Um, <laughs> you know, do some crazy stuff. See, nice. see how we can be out of the box, which is what I would which is what my input would be on uh, decoys. I I just like to be as out of the box and different of everyone around me, which typically is usually massive spreads for me, but it can be anything. Awesome. Good deal. All righty. Well, I appreciate you coming on here tonight, Sean, and uh, and running through these questions for me. Hopefully, uh, I know we rushed through some of the, the last ones in lightning round, but hopefully uh, – we got some for the listeners and, and uh, answered uh, your questions to satisfaction. But, um, yeah, appreciate you coming on. You got any last words? Uh, if anyone has more questions, uh, shoot me a message on Instagram. And, like, talking with other guys and answering questions and talking about the season. I'm freaking stoked. Definitely. Is it uh, Sean Weaver? Is there an underscore or anything? Uh, it's just Sean Weaver, DWC. Um, All righty. That's it. Okay. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for another one. I'm Jordan from Duck and Chronicles, Duck and Podcast, and Sean Weaver, and we will see you guys on the next one.